Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about the missing ingredient from today's culture that's ruining everything. (laughs) And if it were to return with a vengeance, it could fix lots of social problems. Yeah. No problem. There you go. Hey, what episode is this? This is 60, I think. 60? Yeah, 60. Welcome to episode 60. Glad you're here. And uh, before we get started, it is uh, story time with story time. John. <laughs> <laughs> that could be its own podcast. Yeah. Except I'm already running out and we don't even, we haven't even been going that long. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that means you've told this would be your 30th story. So that's a lot yeah. of stories. When is there some jokes in there? One, but, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Really bad one. Anyway, uh, last week I told the story, or last time I told the story, I t- talked about, um, or no, I think you would. I referenced recently an incident with my brother and with fireworks and an explosion. Oh, yeah. And there was another one where I was going to tell, but I was like, hey, I'll tell it later. And this one is, uh, it's shorter, but it was it's a, a memorable time. So uh, this was really a hip thing to do for a while where you would go and you would buy some PVC pipe uh, of varying uh, widths and you would fit them together. Widths. Uh, diameter. I don't oh, know. so you could slide them into each yeah, other. Yeah, and okay. it, it, they uh, they telesc- were telescoped. Telescoped a little bit. Uh, I'm still going to think of uh, really. So you had uh, a chamber in the back you, you would make with this PVC pipe with a cap on the back of it. Uh, you would drill a little hole in there, and then uh, it would taper off to a little or a smaller chamber that was like a barrel, mm. and it, it continued. And the whole thing was probably maybe like four feet, four feet long. Yeah, that's a big gun. Yeah. And uh, so you would, uh, in the back where you had drilled the hole, you would spray, uh, I think hairspray. I don't actually, you would spray some flammable deal down the hole. Probably hairspray, I guess. Or some flammable aerosol. Yeah, an aer- yeah, yeah. And then you would put a potato in. Oh, it's the, a potato gun. The nozzle of it, yeah. And then you would light a fire behind next to the hole or something. Mm-hmm. I, I never operated it, so I'm going Did off you of see my, it operate? Yeah. Yeah, Tim built it. And he had some friends over or something, and he called me out to watch this thing. And he would light it, and it would blast the potato out of the... Of and the how well did it work? Because I've never... I've heard of said potato this guns, This thing but... went flying. Really? So we're at the cul-de-sac in the laundry house. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this was a cul-de-sac, and then a fence, and then a busy road on the other side of that fence. Fence being more like a, a series of posts. Um, and so he aims it that away. And just <laughs> and lights it, and it goes flying out, well over the fence down the cul-de-sac, and lands in the middle of the road in front of this car. Then when uh, the car was moving, moving car, yeah, and it didn't hit anything. And then they, uh, you know, scram. They they all run into the house just in case, because Tim had been had had a few run-ins with things mm-hmm. like this in the past. Oh yes. I'm familiar with the story. I wasn't there <laughs> of him hitting cars with paintball guns. Oh yes. And that didn't go super well. Uh, anyway, and I, I wondered if, in hindsight, I was like, oh, I didn't get up into any of these shenanigans. I wonder what the deal is. And I wonder if it's a Gen X thing versus a millennial slash Gen Z thing where we just were more boring kids. Hmm. I don't really know. You know, we didn't sleep Less adventurous. Yeah, and my, my adventures didn't were Didn't build more... ramps and jump bikes and, no. you know, like ride a bike off the top of the roof of the house. <laughs> you know, that kind of yeah. thing. 
Yeah, we, I mean, like, it's it's not that thing where all I did was, you know, stay inside and play games. Like, we would go, uh, me and uh, uh, two of my, my best friends would just walk to, his parents hated seeing us indoors. So if they came home, even if we had just got back from the outside all day, if we were indoors on the couch when when their parents came home, it was like, yeah. what are you doing on the couch? And it's, yeah, get we, outside. Yeah, and so we were outside with them all the time. But never stuff like that, never building explosives. Generally. But you guys walked all over town. I mean, yeah. you really would walk all over town. Yeah, all over. But but just less to show for it, I guess, or less to tell yeah. about. Have you ever told the story on Jim and John about walking the streets of Deer Lodge at the yeah. age of five or six or mm-hmm. whatever that was? Yeah, I did tell that one. Yeah, that's uh, you, you've been a walker. <laughs> you wouldn't think it necessarily. <laughs> I've, I've been a sitter for more. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah. Some more, more shenanigans with my brother, Tim. With, uh, with the explosive potato gun. Yeah, pretty clever. I, and, of course, he didn't come up with it, I don't think. That's yeah, a, I, a, I would love to see that thing operate now. We'll have to get him to build one sometime. Next time we're all at a big family yeah. trip, have him to build another one. Because uh, I'd like to see that happen. It was kind of, it was mean looking. It was uh, black PVC Did pipe. it make like an explosive sound when it shot? I think it sounded more like, like kind of like windy, like a... <laughs> oh, Kind okay. of like, like the, the fire, I think. And would the potato go down into the barrel or is just sitting at the end of the barrel that's a very good question i don't remember hmm. but it was muzzle loaded you would actually did they have a chamber for it there's no way no they didn't have a chamber there's no way for it. yeah come on i'm just i'm trying to remember he's tim lad not smith and wesson <laughs> 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 all okay. right let's start our conversation today and um there is a missing ingredient that continues to uh lose popularity mm-hmm it seems to be the rave to excuse the absence of this item from our culture, and it is sabotaging us to the moon. Mm. And that that thing is personal responsibility. Boom. Drop the mic. <laughs> Drop the mic. So uh, people refusing to take personal responsibility, people claiming they're not responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about kind of the extremes of this because, um, you know, the one extreme that I'm leaning toward is you're responsible for everything. Like, um, you're responsible for your own happiness. You're responsible for how you handle your anger. You're responsible for your behavior, responsible for the words that come out of your mouth. You are responsible to feed yourself, clothe yourself, shelter yourself. You are responsible to provide for yourself that, that, um, that you have a big job. Yeah. And you can't abdicate that personal responsibility. Yeah. So can you think of examples in our culture where people are being excused from personal responsibility? Yeah, I think, uh, and I might have mentioned this in, in um, passing uh, recently, but uh, um, with some of these instances of um, interactions between police and, and, and people of color and even if these people of color are, are into, uh, or say they're on drugs, or they're they were doing something less than mm-hmm. appropriate, and instances where the uh, uh, there was still an abuse of power, or still uh, uh, more force than necessary. Not sure. to defend that, but sure. the um, aside from from the um, a person from like a conservative side would say, well, they were doing this illegal thing, mm-hmm. and a person from the other side would say. Uh, well, they were only in that position because of the decades of institutionalized of oppression. racism. Right. Exactly. And uh, and in other instances where um, certain, what well, well, they might call rights, so a right to clothing, a right to a home, a right to food, where uh, a, a 
like like this conversation around universal basic income is this idea that uh, one of the presidential or, or Democratic candidates that mm-hmm. uh, didn't make it super far, but um, and he didn't make the idea, but he popularized it recently, where it's this idea where every citizen of your country would receive X amount of dollars per month just for being Which there. is above the popular poverty level. Yeah. Because everybody has a right to a non-poverty life. Exactly. So this idea of what is someone actually responsible for, are you responsible to feed yourself? And if you if you refuse to work, are, should the country let you starve? Mm-hmm. Or if you were born into a hard life, like in these the previous example, are you responsible that you find yourself uh, doing illegal things or things quite more morally questionable because you had to do those to survive, supposedly had to? Those are the instances I've seen recently. You know, I think of the Bible law in the Old Testament when the laws are being explained. If a person stole to feed their family, a poor person stole to feed their family, mm-hmm. they had to repay the debt, um, but only the debt. Whereas if a person stole who had abundance, they had to pay the debt plus a penalty. Hmm. Um, so you have you have this uh, compassion for people who resort to theft to survive, but they still are held accountable for the decision to steal. Right. So a sympathy, but not a but not an excusing. Right. And so uh, one of the one of the things about uh, responsibility is somebody has to have it. So, so, uh, in this world of so much free stuff, um, forgiven student loans, um, free, uh, free healthcare for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever, uh, it's not free. So somebody's paying for it. Yeah. And so the notion is that those who exercise great personal responsibility now have to exercise a little bit more responsibility to compensate for the ones who won't exercise or can't uh, exercise personal responsibility. So yeah, so so that um, so the argument there would be to to free these people of the burden of their student debt, which they to some extent willingly accepted. Nobody put a head to their a gun to their head and said you're going to co- you're going to take these loans out. Right. Right. <laughs> I, to, to to as someone in those positions, yes. if you had shown me the bill that I would have accrued at the end. I, who knows what I would have done instead? I'm not sure. I might have still gone through the whole thing. Yeah. Especially if you showed me a picture of my wife that I'd get through the whole thing, too. You know, I'd yeah. Like, well, yeah. I can I can stomach. Yeah, the, she's worth 80 grand. Yeah, I could stomach the bill. But uh, um, and, and in my defense, we did tell you how much money you were going to owe if you did this whole thing. I don't think I was listening very much. No, you weren't. Point being, <laughs> point being. <laughs> Uh, the the argument for that is that uh, if if the federal government did forgive these loans, then these people would be um, the economy would prosper because they'd have more money to spend. I don't. But but the point being that the money comes from somewhere. So yeah, taxes I mean the would, banks. These are not federal loans. The banks actually loaned the money. Right. So it, well, and I don't know legally what they could force the private loan. Well, they can't. Yeah. So Some, they, that's what I'm saying. Somebody has to pay them off. Well, but so the government's not forgiving them; they're paying them. And to be honest, I haven't looked that far into it. I assumed they were only talking about federal loans because I don't know what they could do to the banks. You know, I'd, pay them. I guess <laughs> they cannot force them not to get their money back. Yeah, yeah. So the point being that it has to come from somewhere. The same yeah. thing with all of this um, uh, uh, um, COVID money. This um, twelve hundred dollar check, which I haven't got by the way. IRS. Hello, knock knock. Yeah, you know your brother Tim hasn't gotten his either. Yeah, so maybe it's something about that lad name. Maybe they just got it out for us, but that money's coming from somewhere, so we'll be paying it back eventually. Um, 
So, the, so that's what you're saying. The people in responsibility. Um, well, the shoulder point, part of it. Well, the point is you don't get you don't get to create something. Only God creates ex nihilo out <laughs> out of nothing. Right. So when people give stuff away, it was made by somebody, funded by somebody, so it's not free. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so your lack of personal responsibility costs somebody. It forces them to take responsibility. Yeah. Because it, things don't come out of nothing. Yeah. And so, um, and, and man, you know, you have, this is what's complicated is we have a complicated world. You have addicts who cannot break their addiction and you have mental illness. And, and so you have lots of disabilities and the question is, well, what do we do about people with disabilities? Don't they have a right to be cared for, to be sheltered, to be fed, to be clothed? Yeah. And so uh, that starts to complicate things. So I want to set that aside because those are problems where the capacitated can care for the incapacitated. But whether they have a right to that care or whether it is the generosity of the caregiver, that's a philosophical discussion. Sure. But I want to not complicate it there because we're not talking about people who don't have competency. Mm -hmm. We're talking about people who do have competency who just don't exercise personal responsibility. Well, I think, and and honestly, um, on a, a... Um, nitty gritty level, I'm 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 with you that I'm not ready to dive into that mm-hmm. on the policy level. However, right, but I think the the blank um, idea is the same. Blanket idea is the same. Where it is responsibility to your means. So, uh, um, you know, the person in the, the 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 couple that's both doing minimum wage jobs, uh, or you know, they have a kid. So one's at home, one's doing two minimum wage jobs. Hard, hard living, right? Uh, they're responsible to their means. So they're not responsible necessarily. I'm not going to thump them on the head for not giving to the poor and not donating tons of, you know, or a large percentage of their cash. If they're Christ followers, I would say, obviously, tithe. Um, but but I wouldn't be like, hey, you're only giving 10%. You should give more to missions. You should, Because sure, you know, sure. it's to their means. And, and that's biblical. And I think that that idea, not just fiscally, carries. So a person who is not able is responsible to their means. So they're not responsible um, to the extent of a more traditionally abled um, person. So um, counterpoint, mm-hmm. um, let's say that two guys, well, let's just use, you know, um, Bob and Joe. Of course. Okay. Poor, those poor people. Those poor guys. Named Bob and Joe. Bob and Joe. Now, uh, Bob has a high school education probably struggles let's say he struggles with adhd and dyslexia mm-hmm. academics are really hard for him got some really good uh, hand skills craftsman you know can do can can work hard there's a lid on how much money bob's going to make the rest of his life yeah um take uh you can take two uh immigrants who escaped um you know escaped um persecution in their homeland fled here and and him and her can only get, you know, minimum wage fast food restaurant jobs. Sure. So, um, so they have uh, they have responsibility in alignment with their they steward they they you know your your responsibility matches your limitations is what you're saying. Yeah. But the other question is, does uh, Joe who has um, pursued three degrees and has is a doctorate of something? And also has uh, the skill set to manage large moving parts with hundreds of employees 
and to innovate and create and therefore create wealth. Does, uh, does Joe have an obligation to care for others or does he have an opportunity and a stewardship, uh, an oughtness? Sure. So is it forced on him or is it voluntary? Well, and, uh, and I don't know to what extent we're going to get into civil uh, responsibility mm-hmm. as far as, far as um, actual legislation mm-hmm. and, and, you know, taxing of the rich for, for um, whatever purposes. I would say the oughtness is there for Joe is the wealthy one. Yeah. For Joe to, um, to look at, at the means he's been given and to use them appropriately. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, I was going to reference the, you know, woe, woe to one to whom much is given for mm-hmm. much. I don't know if that's necessarily applicable now, but he should look at his means and say, how much do I need? Um, and, and, and what could I do with these means responsibility to his level? Sure. To treat it to, we to all have me. stewardship responsibilities and, yeah. the, and with great response, with great power. Uh, power comes great responsibility. Yeah. But, uh, but I wouldn't say there is, should be a legal oughtness on him necessarily. Right. And, um, and one of the mis- one of the uh, frustrating parts of the Joes of the world, which by definition I'm one of those because my income puts me in a certain percentage mm-hmm. of the world's population, which is a very small percentage, is a lot of us were born on third base and we think we hit a triple. <laughs> so we're taking a whole lot of credit for how hard we've worked to make all this wealth and how, you know, and, and surely we have Stuart. It's not easy. People don't give money away. And if you have a high wage job, you're also giving way more than 40 hours a week to it. Mm-hmm. This is the way the world works. And so, uh, but also I was dealt a different hand. Yeah. And so uh, the question is, are people who are dealt a more generous hand um, required to uh, cover the lack of responsibility of someone who has a lesser hand? Now we've kind of drifted here. So let's get back to, um, Really, because we want to be helpful to each other and to our typical listener. So, yeah. you know, um, I doubt that we we have a lot of listeners who are um, struggling to do. What do I do with all this money? Or, <laughs> or I can't find my butt with both hands, and I'm trapped in this terrible life. Yeah. So, for the common guy, let's stick to issues that pertain to that. So, let's say you married Lindsay. And uh, let's say marriage gets hard. Yeah. Do you have a right to happiness or do you have a responsibility to honor your vow? And where do those principles um, cross? Well, uh, and w- sorry, you do want to. I was going to say, how unhappy sure. do you have to be before you have the right to abdicate your responsibility to your vow and choose a different marriage? Well, I've said this before that one of my big ahas in this whole 60 episodes um, is the um, the equation of happiness that that the X factor, maybe the X factor, at least one of the one of the big ones, one of the unknowns, one of the variables is responsibility and meaning by way of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So meaning is probably the variable and you get meaning via responsibility. So. Um, if you're, if you're, you know, onto the marriage ride, you're at the amusement park, you're like, I'm going to get in that line and go on that ride. (laughs) Uh, and you're just waiting for the good times, Mm -hmm. you know, um, then that 
where you find yourself there makes a lot of sense. And it's not to say that if you are doing this, if you get into marriage gung-ho about your vows and your responsibility and, and how much you are dedicated to this, it's not to say it's not going to get hard anyway. It's mm-hmm. not, not to straw man the whole thing. But, um, but I think that if you view it that way, the second way, the, um, you're looking at your vows, you're looking at the, the responsibility you have to this relationship that you make up roughly half of this relationship mm-hmm. and, uh, and the agency you have there, um, and the meaning of that, then that actually, that your happiness, the, 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 um, other end of that equation, um, will look different that, that you're not sitting there thinking, well, would a different woman make this easier for me? Mm-hmm. Cause it's not really about you. It's about the unity. It's about the, the bond it's, and, and your, um, efforts in that bond. Does that, I've, I've kind of talked in a big circle. Does that make sense? I, I think it does. You're saying that um, your your happiness is going to be attached to meaning, and you're going to find meaning through exercising your personal exactly. responsibility. Exactly. So it's not it's it's not just that you have this um, requirement to do so, and it's homework. It's that what you're looking for would be found through this other way of of doing yeah. your marriage. And in that regard, I don't want meaning. I want happiness as if I'm on vacation. Right. I want to live on vacation. I want to not have to sacrifice. And I, you know, um, and so we have this life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I have mm-hmm. a right to the pursuit of happiness. And this marriage makes me unhappy. Um, so uh, you have people break contracts, break agreements, let alone marriage, but other kinds. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so far, what, what would you say is the point that, um, we're, that we're trying to communicate so far? So, and, and yeah, we have, it's, it's a big topic. It is a broad topic. As we do, we've, we've, you know, gone wherever we pleased. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, so far it'd be, um, I would say, I'd reinforce the um, responsibility to your means mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, inherent value and and value added to your life, mm-hmm. not just in some kind of abstract sense, but the actual uh, usefulness and, and what it does for your happiness um, of responsibility and meaning. I think we started with the idea of um, of moral responsibility and the hand you're dealt. So... Um, Everybody's like, responsible to steward the hand they were dealt, whether it's a good hand or a hard hand or an unfair hand, whatever unfair means. It, yeah. But you are, but what are you going to do? So less important is what were you dealt and more important is what are you going to do with what you were yeah, dealt? Yeah. And that, uh, that we believe in, and, and biblically specifically, eternally specifically, you will be held accountable regardless mm-hmm. that it doesn't, you, you won't be able to say, well, I got treated this way as a child, and so I yeah. I treat the people this way now as an adult. And personal responsibility is part of the created order. God is He creates everything. He puts Adam and Eve in there, and He says, "Work it, mm-hmm. take dominion, exercise dominion over the fish, the animals, the land. Work the land, grow food, like take personal responsibility for what I've given you." And He creates the capacity for sin, the possibility of rebellion against God. And holds you accountable for whether you choose that option. Yeah. So it turns out that you were created to take personal responsibility. Yeah. And the alternative. So if you said, well, well, what if he just, you know, we were just programmed, right? And, right. and it would be so much simpler. Um, but that same exact meaning in responsibility and happiness in meaning from responsibility goes away from that equation. Mm-hmm. So by giving us that freedom and uh, the option to, to, um, to stake, I don't know, stake our claim is the word that came to mind, but um, to really 
to own that and assume that responsibility to to worship God and to um, and to leverage that for your own greater sense of fulfillment. Right. That leads to this much more powerful, robust life. Yeah. So the way that you offer someone dignity is not to carry them when they could walk. It is to help them walk better. Right. And again, not out of a sense of just obligation to how you view the world, but in a practical sense that they will, um, you know, teach man how to fish, not to give him a fish. It will be more effective to to teach them the sense of responsibility to, for them to build themselves out with your assistance yeah. than to build dig them out yourself. Yeah. And so so not only is personal responsibility a part of the created order and now an expectation on every human being that that within the sphere of your capacity you are expected to exercise personal responsibility that also is rewarded it's fruitful it's how you create meaning and if you have someone who hasn't learned that or who is in need the most powerful thing you can do empowering thing you can do for another human being is to facilitate their own exercise of their personal responsibility because that is the gift that keeps on giving into perpetuity for them versus continuing to carry them along. Yeah. And, and, uh, we, we talked about this before we had an episode on, uh, and a lot of these, I think because of both of our memories, we forget about a lot of the episodes we've had. We had one on moral absolutes and, uh, and to me, this one is, it seems to be kind of a, that one we landed on that there's more gray area than a lot of people, Mm -hmm. a lot of specifically Christians, um, I prefer to think about, and this one seems more cut and dry to me on on absolutes, where you either would say um, nobody's responsible for their actions because everyone has dealt some kind of poor hand, even just on a macro macro scale. Every human being born into sin, without, I was born already broken. Yeah, without any say in it, mm-hmm. and you're held responsible for that sin. So, uh, and 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 the fact that we have a mercy in that, and because of Jesus, we can escape that equation unscathed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. actually better than we were. But uh, so there, there's either that where you say, well, no one's responsible for anything, or the only other option to me I see is everyone's responsible for everything and for that in in their life. And again, with the X factor of people who uh, who, who cannot have, govern themselves right. or or you know the like. Uh, d- what do you think about that? Well, I think that's exactly right. And when I think about, you know, we got involved in the homelessness situation in Olympia pretty th- pretty thick. And um, I think to require nothing of a homeless person, mm-hmm. like to require nothing of them, you can defecate, get high, you can be nude, you can, uh, that like there is no behavior you can do in town that will get you arrested because you're homeless. Mm-hmm. To lower the bar that low on a human being is to take away all their dignity. Because if they are that, if they are that animalistic where they cannot be held accountable or responsible for any single behavior, then for the love of God, hospitalize them and institutionalize them so that they can get care. Yeah. Because to leave them on the street, then if they're that incapacitated, then you are. And so dignity comes from the exercise of my own personal responsibility. So um, so I, I think there's, there's a huge, uh, key there to the identity of a human being. Yeah. And I wonder, I had this, I have this sympathy, uh, of the, the institution, right? So say you, you find yourself in the power of, of a unelected official, right? We have this frustration, you and me uh, with how some of this uh, COVID stuff has been handled. Yeah. And I always fall back on, um, 
they have the responsibility to their people mm-hmm. to do the best to minimize these effects. So um, even if someone would think they went too far in regard to the economy, mm-hmm. right, or, or however, uh, the, the optimistic way to see it is um, they're doing what they can for their people because it's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. They're the leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Governor Jay Inslee the, governs the people of Washington. And his goal is, say, you know, we didn't do anything, any uh, government measures to, to halt the spread of COVID-19. And this, you know, body start racking up. Uh, that's on him, you know. So, right. So when I think about um, a body of government who, like, like the the Olympia, the city of Olympia, or however, or even on a bigger scale, uh, uh, a state that has a huge homelessness crisis, mm-hmm. and they're trying to solve it. If they relied on a lot of um, self initiative uh, uh, things, like we're saying, like like how the individual ha- uh, happiness and success of a homeless person changing their life would be meaning and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have an obligation to give them food and clothes and housing. Mm-hmm. And they have an obligation to, um, you know, uh, provide those with as little qualification as possible, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. So here's a, here's a philosophical point though. Sure. You're, you're saying that um, in the case of COVID it's the governor's responsibility to make sure we're all healthy even if that means take away our freedoms to make sure we remain healthy. The converse of that would be, no, it's his responsibility to call us to exercise our personal responsibility in a responsible way so that we would not infect other people. And he can inform us and educate and instruct us, but he should not take away my exercise of my own responsibility. And I, and I agree. But when you think about just their, their roles, it's easy for me to understand. I can understand it, but, and, and, and what they're saying is the government knows better than you do, but here's what they're saying. The government's responsible for you to not get sick instead of saying to you, Hey, John, it's your responsibility not to get sick. Here's how this virus works. Here's what's going to increase your risk. Here's how you're going to hurt other people. I need you to operate with some personal responsibility here. Yeah. That's a different thing. But understanding that people aren't going to do that. Right. So um, Bob is 75 and Joe is 30 and Joe says, man, Irish, yeah. yeah, I'm doing what I want. And then I already forgot the names I chose. Bob and Joe. So Bob, so, so then the other, the older guy goes to get groceries and Bob sneezes on a, sneezes on a cantaloupe. And then, you know, <laughs> the other guy picks up the cantaloupe game over, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, that you can't always rely on people to, um, to make the best decisions. I yeah. Guess, but. And to the homeless deal, you know, again, that's assuming a posture that it's the government's job to see to it that every citizen has um, the, the basics of life where I would say that's people's jobs. Yeah. God calls people to care for people, not governments. And what what happens when the government does this for us is it takes away my incentive or my uh, sense of oughtness to be kind and compassionate to the poor because, hey, the government's taking care of that. And I pay taxes, and that's how the system works. I pay the government. The government takes care of them. I'd have, I agree for sure. And so it would inspire more personal generosity for the government to say, I have said forever, and I'm, I'm pro- you know, there are no simple answers. So this is a stupid thing uh, to think that this could solve the problem. But I think if I were president of the United States and I had sovereign power, like if I were a benevolent dictator, mm-hmm. I would tell the the country, I would I would take every, you couldn't turn on your TV without seeing me for a five-minute speech, however I could do that. Sure. And I would say, hey, listen, uh, 
12 months from now, all entitlement programs stop. All of your faith systems teach you to take care of the poor. Game on. Churches, you're collecting tithe money. Ministries, wealthy people. The people care for the people, not the government. It's our job to do a different thing. This is a human job. And we are getting out of the entitlement business. And in 12 months, um, you, all of you faith systems and all of you citizens need to figure out how you're going to care for each other. Dang. Um, and so solve the problem. And um, that's a dumb idea. But the point of it, the principle of it, I'm a firm believer in. Yeah. And, and the systems at play at that level. And, and again, we're in we're in the civil version of sure, this, sure. this conversation. Um, the system is, is too big. It moves slow. It does. It's uh, it can, and it's way complicated. Yeah. And it can be ineffective and, and especially state by state. It varies so much. Mm-hmm. There's an, a story that uh, I'll have you tell because you're you know it a lot better than me. But uh, of a church in a community that said we want to see the foster system in this community run drive kids. Mm-hmm. We want to, to solve the, the, mm-hmm. the problem of, of children in foster care in, in our community. Do you, do you remember this? Well, this is all of us. This is Olympia. We have, we have nine churches on board, and we've said we want to be the first county in the state of Washington where every foster kid has a home to stay in. There's no county in Washington where that's true. But this had happened in, in a, a different state you told me about. A church did this, and they succeeded. Oh, I don't know of anywhere that actually succeeded where there's where every kid has a family. Oh my goodness, did I make this up? I don't know. Uh, maybe there is one, and I've forgotten. I've slept since then. <laughs> well, then I'll I'll refrain from using too many specifics. Uh, as I understood it, it went very well, and yeah. it was effect, It was more effective by being a people caring for people. Well, and, and the truth, if you take all the foster kids in America and you take all the churches in America, if every church family took one foster kid. Problem solved in a single day. Every family of every church? Or no. One, one family one in every church, church. If every church took one kid, the foster problem solved in a day. That is a simplistic answer, but that is an answer. But the numbers check out. They do. And so you're right. That and so, so let's get out of the civil arena just for a second and go back to the most basic form of this. I don't know if you remember this. When you were kids and you guys would say, Dad, I'm bored. Yeah. Okay. Now, what that statement says is, it's your responsibility to unbore me, right? And we would say, say it correctly, and you would have to say, Dad, I'm boring. Mm -hmm. Because you not being bored is your responsibility, not anybody else's. (laughs) Yeah. So figure out a way not to get bored. You know, do a job, take a chore, read a book, um, create something. Because it's your responsibility not to be bored. That small, tiny example of a kid builds over time. It turns out that everything, hey, dad, I don't get enough playing time on the team. I'm on this team and I have to sit on the bench. Improve your skills. Take personal responsibility to get better at your craft so you get more playing minutes. Mm -hmm. The answer to almost every dilemma you face, the first answer should be a personal responsibility answer not an excuse or a blame answer. Yeah. That one thing, that's what I'm talking about. And that, that, uh, that two degrees of separation as a child creates a wide separation as adults. When you see the world, that the world is obligated to take care of me. The world is obligated to give me food and shelter and clothing and friendship and health insurance. The world is obligated to meet my basic 
wants and desires. I have a right to these things. Well, then um, life could get really hard for you. Yeah. Versus if you say, I have a responsibility to provide for myself these things. Now, here's the breakdown. One last thing, and then we'll go to our uh, new uh, <laughs> new segment. Sure. Uh, show and tell. Um, <clears throat> prisons are full of alcohol fetal syndrome men. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol fetal syndrome uh, is not the kid's fault. They're in the womb. Mom's an alcoholic, drinks too much, and it affects the formation of the neural systems of the brain. And what one thing, one trait of that is that you cannot connect the dots between cause and effect. You say to one of those kids when they're kids, if you do that, this will happen. They cannot connect that. So mm-hmm. if they can acquire the skill of just telling themselves, you can't do that. They can't understand why you can't do that, but they have to just convince themselves you can't do that. Then they can play by the rules. But it's, sure. an extri- it's an incredibly hard thing for them to actually connect those two things. Well, what ends up happening is they break lots of laws, and they end up in front of judges, and then they end up in prison. Okay? Not their fault, and yet it is their responsibility to figure out how to not be a lawbreaker. This is complicated, and this is unfair. You look at fatherlessness. Uh I, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's high above 85% of inmates come from fatherless homes. Hey, abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse, abuse among watching their moms be abused. All of these, you know, the, the, there's a saying that says your life is perfectly designed to make you who you are. Yeah. You came from a set. And this is why compassion feels like to remove to not hold you responsible for your behaviors because you were dealt a, a severely difficult hand. And this is where it starts to get cloudy. What that has morphed into with that legitimate tension and that legitimate concern has morphed into let's not hold anybody responsible for anything. Sure. Uh, because there's probably some reason somewhere why they shouldn't be held responsible. Yeah. All right. Show and tell time. Yeah. It's your turn this week. Yeah. So, uh, I have this thing. It's in a little black bag, and it weighs the the weight of a twenty ounce bottle of water. Okay. <laughs> okay. And it's self contained in this little bag. I just purchased it for my Harley road trip, which is a week from Monday. So it's on June twenty ninth. I'm going to hit the road for thirteen days with a small group of people and ride motorcycles from Washington to Vegas to Denver. I think to Yellowstone through utah back here and uh so i wanted this thing for the trip Mm -hmm. and so it's in a little black bag you unzip it it has these orange sticks that uh kind of pop into place as you open them up and it builds a small frame that is low to the ground and then there's a fabric you put over the four posts of this frame and voila you have a lawn chair that weighs that weighs less than a water bottle a 20 ounce water bottle and that will hold 300 pounds now there's a confession because there's cheaper chairs that hold only 210 <laughs> but i have i need a chair that can hold more than 210 so they, they i don't need a chair that can hold 300 sure I, I believe you but i do need a chair hold that holds more than 210 and so i had to pay a little bit more for this chair but i must say i'm very very it just arrived 
today, the day we're recording this, and I really like it. That's, I mean, technology, man. It just reminds me of of my grandpa, my mom's dad, mm-hmm. just loved this stuff. He had oh. this uh, bike that could <laughs> fold into a suitcase, and it was it might have been loved that. It might have been his favorite possession. I think so. But it was, I mean, it was cool, but it was hard to ride. Not pleasant really to small ride. wheels. Yeah. But he just <laughs> he he loved it. And I, what do you need this for? You don't need it to be in a suitcase. You actually no. have room in your garage for a whole bicycle. Yeah, I know, but I can put this in the back of my car, and and uh, that's so funny. Yeah, but I mean, gadgets, man, especially for a bike road trip, because like same deal. Road trip normally just throw a lawn chair in your car. What's the problem? Right, can't do that on a motorcycle. Yeah. so this fits really small, kind of handy. And you've been on one of these long trips before. It was a nine day last year, nine day trip, uh, about three thousand miles. I think we're gonna we're gonna do uh, a little over six thousand miles. I think this time. Oh my goodness! Yeah. From last time you did three, mm-hmm. double. Yeah. No, I'm, no, I'm wrong about that. We're probably gonna do forty five hundred miles. I okay. haven't added it up. I've got it all written down, each stop, and uh, gonna be a lot, a lot of fun. That's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Hey, let's do our commercial break. We'll come back for closing uh, thoughts. Awesome. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, John, what's your biggest takeaway? And thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, supporting. We're really grateful to our patrons. And uh, we're just glad you're listening. Hope you'll pass it on to a friend. Yeah, thank you, guys. What's your big takeaway today, John? Man, um, it hasn't... So big takeaway is still that... Uh, and this 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 problem is so much simpler on a personal level. If I'm from me to whoever's listening to this, that my advice is that happiness uh, comes from meaning, which comes from responsibility, mm-hmm. and that is, and I think it, I think that holds water all day. And uh, and if you are in a leadership position or an aid position, I understand that it's not that simple. That if you work with fetal alcohol syndrome clients, mm-hmm. um, that's saying to them, well, you just gotta, you know. You just gotta, you just gotta be responsible for, and, and you know, it's not always that so easy. hard, so hard. Um, but, but to you, and I think, I think claiming ownership of your crisis. So we, we mentioned um, um, helplessness and mm-hmm. and this this uh, uh, victim mm-hmm. mindset. I want to say or victim mm-hmm. identity, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's um, it's not only what I would call inaccurate, but it really it 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 kneecaps you, it cuts you off before you even get a chance to get mm-hmm. started. So even for just the sake of utility, not even ethics, not not worldview, whatever, for the sake of utility, for getting what you want, um, that mindset is not helpful in, in owning your um, circumstance. Yeah. 
uh, is. It, gi- it, it gives you, you know, it's the first step of, uh, of addiction, basically. It's admitting that you have a problem, admitting that you have a hand in wherever you find yourself mm-hmm. uh, and acknowledging that you have the means to potentially get out of it. And there's this uh, trend against um, basically pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. Which uh, um, the saying even means that that's impossible, right? You can't lift yourself up from your bootstraps. So <laughs> the point being that telling a bunch of poor people to just work harder right. in poverty doesn't right. work. No, it doesn't. And uh, and and yeah, I don't disagree with that. But uh, um, but the alternative being just throw money at them until they're not poor anymore doesn't work either. Right. And so um, I, w- I love your summary statement. Happiness comes from meaning. Meaning comes from the exercise of personal responsibility. And so, uh, you know, I would say another way of saying that is life is 15% what happens to you and 95%, 85%, 85% what you do about that. What are you going to do next? Hey, this is the shape you're in. Man, that sucks. Okay, stare at that for a few minutes. Now, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Not what is someone going to do for me. Yeah. What am I going to do? It's an empowering thing. It's where human dignity comes from. And, um, it is, it is the powerful thing. So even in your compassion toward an alcohol, alcohol fetal syndrome, your job is not to liberate them from all accountability for the behaviors they have. Your job is to help them learn how to exercise personal responsibility in a way that's uh, possible for them. Yeah. So developmental, I like the word developmental aid. Sure. Um, that, that what we do for people because we, because we love them, because we want them to have dignity because they matter that the solutions we provide should be developmental. They help them be a better person. Yeah. It's, it's growth oriented, not um, just solving the problem. Yes. Yeah. I like that a lot too. That, that, uh, I don't know. I'm sure there are people who study aid and, and how to, you know, I'm sure they're, they're leagues ahead of us of the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. It could have saved you 45 minutes on on that. Well, there's a book, there's a couple of, there's a book called toxic charity. It's a great read Mm -hmm. on this very subject, uh, talking about church missions trips and how kids go over and paint houses when there's unemployed painters in that village. And you could have employed them instead when helping hurts. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. So, uh, we have a lot to learn about kindness and, uh, all this talk about, uh, giving somebody rights means somebody else has the responsibility to meet those rights. That is an equation. I mean, that's math. You can't avoid that. Yeah. But that's not to say that people who have more don't have an obligation to share with those who have less. That is a moral obligation. That is a, but should it be a legal one? Yeah. That's the question. But they have absolutely, uh, those to whom much is given, much is required. Yeah, and especially I mean, because we talked about um, uh, a the civil responsibility and just the personal responsibility, or the the people, the civilian to civilian, or government to civilian. Yeah, you know, you look at the early church, and and um, uh, I forget, the the wordage is uh, no one wanted for anything because there those, was no needy person among. That's them. what it was. Yeah, uh, because the wealthy were were assisting those in mm-hmm. need within the body, mm-hmm. and it worked. And uh, and we have we've hardly even mentioned you know. God in this whole episode. So that's, I think the equation works in a vacuum, but you, you talk about, um, the spirit and, uh, and like, like I think about Jesus being born in, um, anyone who could change the world. He was mm-hmm. born in the least, um, maybe the least fruitful place privileged. to do that. Yeah. least privileged place yeah. to do that in a, in a underprivileged group of people yeah. and a terribly poor couple of yeah. those group of people. Yeah. 
and he uh, it didn't matter. He played yeah. by different rules than the rest of the world. So and did, I think what matter. God would do in your life, like when you are in a desperate place, and I've been in one, and if you haven't, you will. Uh, when you cry out to God, his answers to you will be both uh, um, um, helpful and mandating. He will he will supply your need and he will call you to a higher level of personal responsibility. Yeah. One thing is true about every one of us. You can do more than you think you can. Hmm. You can do more. And God knows this. Yeah. And we need to call each other to this. Hey, you can do more. You actually can do more than you think you can. Yeah. And there's, I forget what it is. It's like, uh, 90% of people think that they can do more than other people think they can Yeah, at work and such like yeah. that. And, uh, and that's funny. That's that I agree. It's probably also true that you can do more than even you think you can. Right. So it's, it's yeah. And it's not that you can do as much as somebody else, but you can do more than you think you can. You have more capacity than you realize more totally. potential and more opportunity. Than totally. You think. Hey, we hope this has been helpful to you and encouraging. Uh, John, it's always fun to do this. Thanks for oh, doing yeah. this episode 60, man, episode 60, weeks of doing this i've really enjoyed the ride uh tell them how to find us communicate with us whatever else john yeah primarily through uh instagram at yep. uh at jim and john uh is where we where we post uh no h in the john no h in the john and you can private message us there you can respond to we do a post every week uh with the episode and all that you can respond there uh in the comment section uh email uh is info at jim and john and that's probably a we see that one first. That one we that we comes to us through. right away. Yeah. Notifications on our phones and stuff. Uh, info at jimandjohn dot com. Excuse me, because of the website. Mm-hmm. And there's a contact form also on the website, which we also get alerted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you if you're trying to get our attention right away, best way to do it. But if you're trying to just keep in the loop, Instagram was where you want to start. Yeah, you know, in every episode, I want I want to think of just one thing I would ask a listener to do for us. And here's today's: send us a topic idea. Yeah, please think of something you'd like to hear us talk about. Something you've got questions about, a conversation you wish you were having with us, send it to us. We'll have it. Uh, We'd really be grateful for that. Awesome. And thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you again for uh, week 61. Yay. 